I'm Archbishop Alan Vigneron of the Archdiocese of Detroit, and this is the Eyes on Jesus podcast. Hello, welcome to the Eyes on Jesus podcast. I am your host, Mary Wilkerson. In light of protests and the national conversation on race following the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis last month, the Eyes on Jesus team is offering a special episode today to give this topic the attention it needs. We'd like to welcome our special guest host, Father John McKenzie here, the associate pastor of the Shrine of the Little Flower. Hello, Father John. Hello, Mary. Thank you for having me. And as always, we would like to welcome Archbishop Alan Vigneron for this very special episode of Eyes on Jesus. Hello, Archbishop. Hi, Mary. Good to be with you and good to be with uh, Father McKenzie. So glad you could make it, Father. Thank you so much, Excellency. So we recorded a podcast for the month of June, but we've decided to wait until later on in the month to share that podcast with you and instead take a moment to have a conversation about the heavy weeks we've experienced here in Detroit and nationwide amidst growing protests and unrest in response to the horrific death of George Floyd. To that end, as I said, we've invited Father John McKinsey here with us to have a conversation about race, about race in the Catholic Church, and about what we can do to be um, practicers of healing in this very difficult time. Father John, can you tell us a little bit about yourself before we even begin our conversation? Sure, I'd be glad to, um, and very happy to be on this episode, this very special special episode. So my name is Father John McKenzie. Uh, as you said, Mary, I am Associate Pastor at Shrine of the Little Flower. I've been ordained to this date, June 8th, for one year. So today I celebrate my anniversary, and it's anniversary. also the uh, Thank you so much. Thank you. Yes, and awesome. much thanks to Archbishop Vigneron for ordaining me. So thank you so much, Your Excellency. And uh, no, I've, I've been uh, back here. I was previously a monk in, in Italy. I lived there for about 13 years. I came back to Detroit in 2016, so right at the cups as we were beginning the Unleash the Gospel Senate, so, or Senate 16, as they say. And I just, so many people were talking about the great things going on in Detroit, and it really, really kind of gave me hope that uh, to just to be a part of something that's that's new in the making, and we were new in the city, but also the archdiocese, and so I couldn't, I couldn't help but come back home. So I'm very, very glad to be back uh, here in Detroit. Very good. Well, Archbishop Vigneron, last week you sent a personal message to the black Catholic community acknowledging the deep, familiar, and soul-crushing ache that's been reawakened by this situation in the United States. In this message to the faithful, you said that these protests that are happening are prompted by wounds left by years of racial injustice in our society and affirmed that as a people of faith, we reject the grave sin of racism, and we turn towards Christ in our pursuit of healing and peace. I know that message uh, was a comfort to many people in this archdiocese, as we've all kind of toiled over these hard and difficult times. Archbishop, can you tell us a little bit more about the messages and why you felt that they were important to share at this moment? What you might want to say to black Catholics who are suffering and actually even traumatized by the events that are occurring. Mary, uh, to me, it, uh, it's uh, well, a time when uh, 
We need the help of our Lord Jesus. And as a pastor, I want to stand with the hurt that uh, certainly all uh, the African-American uh, members of our, our community feel, but especially uh, the African-American members of, of the Catholic Church here in Southeast Michigan. Uh, they are not a piece apart. They're not other than the church. They, mm. uh, they are an integral part of, of our family. And what hurts one part of the family hurts all of us. And so I want to offer that message of standing with them. But also uh, it's a time for all of us to make a commitment to continue to work to build up the kingdom of God. A lot of people have a lot of agendas and a lot of ideas about how to heal the wounds that have been caused by racism. Mm. Uh, what we as believers particularly offer is a vision of the triumph of uh, what's right and good through Jesus and a, a commitment to, to, to work for that. Mm. You know, it's funny, Archbishop. Um, I've shared before that I'm married to an African-American man, and we have, we have five young children. So the past couple weeks, just uh, listening to the news and seeing the unrest and trying to kind of pray through it myself have been more difficult than I can remember in, uh, in recent history. Um, when we talk about the church and racism, what does the church teach about racism? What is racism? And maybe if you can share a little bit about how it hurts the dignity of the human person, because I think we can sense so much woundedness right now. Um, can you just speak to those things for us? What is racism? It's an attitude, uh, a habit of heart and mind uh, that uh, views people who are uh, of another race as, as inferior and uh, not worthy of uh, the same treatment uh, that belongs to uh, the rest of us. And what's so evil about it is that it's contrary to the mind and heart. It's, it's wrong. It's a lie. Uh, we're all created uh, of equal dignity by God. And uh, to, uh, to wound that dignity is to insult God. It's, in some sense, it's a kind of blasphemy. Wow, that's very uh, powerful. And yeah, and you know, Your Excellency, I was very happy when you wrote that pastoral letter uh, last week, and, and it really touched home to, to the situation. So thank you so much for that as a black man, but also as your priest. It was very touching to have you write those words and know that they come from, from a pastor's heart. So thank you so much for that. Father John, does it, does it help simply to, I mean, I mean, this, as I look at what's going on, it's a call for change, I think, uh, to continue uh, on, a, on a forward for more change, to become a better, a more just society, um, to, to express the solidarity that helps, uh, that that's useful it, uh, as long as it's accompanied with, uh, with a commitment to act. What's your experience that way? My, my experience is exactly what you said. It's, it's the solidarity, but then followed up by action. But there's something particularly with you, Your Excellency, that uh, and just knowing you uh, as my archbishop, knowing your kind of pastor's heart, I know the authenticity that comes with it. So I think in addition to those two things, 
the authenticity that comes with it. And, and I think that's why you will have um, the black Catholic community rally uh, around you and with you uh, in this fight against the sin of racism, you know, that has affected so many, even in our, even in our very own city and our very own archdiocese. So I do think that uh, those two things are very, very helpful, but it comes with authenticity and people just pick that up. You know, sometimes uh, it doesn't seem like, you know, people are listening or something, but people pick it up because they, they, they've seen you uh, write these words. They've seen you uh, preach about them. They've seen you in, in the actions and the decisions that you've made. So they know it comes from an authentic and, and, a, and a pastoral heart uh, for the people. So that's, I think, is is a blessing that we have. And, and I'm not just saying this because you're my archbishop, by the way, Your Excellency. <laughs> so I, I'm trying to be authentic, too. But I think we need to see that um, uh, more often in the church. Mary, uh, I was going to say, you're, you're, you know, you're talking like a mom. Uh, what do you want for, obviously, your, your children, mixed race? Uh, what do you want for them in the church uh, or do you have a fear uh, uh, about them having a, a proper place? And I mean, it, we're talking to both about the church and in civil society. What do I need to What do I need to know from your heart about all of this? I think everybody responds to things so differently. My husband and I, we could not be more different on paper, and I always say that because uh, it's funny that God brought us together. He's a He's a Catholic convert. I was raised Catholic. He's from Detroit. I'm from the suburbs. He's an engineer. I'm an extroverted youth minister. Like, we're very, very different. But we have been so bonded together as one by our faith in Jesus Christ that our racial differences in our house, and every house is different, um, they don't come into play as much as I think some people think that they do within our household. Um, I would say that I have concerns for my children when it comes to Catholicism because I want them to see that they have a place, that there are people that match them in our churches. <laughs> um, I don't know if, well, I'll say, I think that there are people from uh, you know, Aaron's, my husband Aaron's past and family, that they look at the Catholic Church as a white church that Aaron has chosen to be a part of. And that's really hard for me to bridge that. Um, but I'll say I'm, I'm, I'm learning. I don't, I don't know the solutions for that. My children have a strong understanding of their identity in Christ and their heritage is a part of who they are. And we're figuring out how to celebrate that and how uh, to help them understand that they have a place in the Catholic Church, even if they look around on a typical Sunday. And my husband is one of very few black people in the pews, right? So, um, yeah, I would love to see us be a more inclusive church, but also this, there is an understanding that our identity in Christ bonds us in this kind of incredible way, you know? Well, it's wonderful to hear, Mary. I'm, it's a beautiful witness. Thanks. Well, and I was going to ask you, Archbishop, Archbishop Vigneron, because you've been a priest for a while. You are a native of our diocese. Um, you talk sometimes about the wound of racism, even within the church. So I'm wondering, through your experience, if it's okay to ask, have you seen changes within our local church regarding our 
ability to be accepting of others, to be proactive in inclusion. What has it been like to kind of move through the decades um, in your priesthood when it comes to this particular issue? I have seen change, certainly. <clears throat> I, uh, I think uh, uh, the civil rights movement, uh, the, uh, especially as it was led by Dr. King, I think had a tremendous impact on uh, certainly the leadership, the, the presbyterate of this archdiocese. Mm -hmm. It certainly made a tremendous impact on us in the seminary and uh, taught us uh, that uh, about the value of the gifts that uh, people who aren't like me uh, bring to my experience. I think uh, so I have seen a, a great deal of change. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, but there's more to do. Uh, when we talk about the wound, uh, I'm not gonna I, I had a, a very powerful experience some years ago speaking to an exemplary Catholic layman who told me that when he was a child, he, uh, he came home one or he said to sister at school, I guess that he wanted to be a priest and she said, well, that's not possible. Uh, you're you're uh, African-American. And uh, uh, how, yeah, I hear you, Mary, say, what? I'm stunned. It's um, stunning. It, it, when I think about it, I, I, I weep. I, I ask God to forgive all of us for that. But I know it's the truth that, that we have this in our history. Uh, and I can't fix this. Mm. Uh, only God can heal it. And I think, uh, you know, when we did the, uh, the Mass uh, to ask for forgiveness before we started on the Synod path, uh, we took as our example St. John Paul with his healing of memories, as he spoke about that in the year 2000. Uh, the, pa the past can't be undone. It can only be healed. And uh, uh, part of healing is to improve and to do better. But part of it is recon a great part of it is reconciliation. And what I think we as Christians bring to tragic situations is that God, in his, uh, by the power of the resurrection, can bring good out of, out of things uh, that... Uh, that were wrong, that were sinful. I don't know. I mean, it was wrong what that man experienced, and it makes me ashamed. But I, I trust that God has used it uh, to to advance His purpose because He's God and I'm not. Wow, that that's that's powerful, Your Excellency. And I just want to share a little bit of my own experience. Uh, with regard to the mass, uh, a massive pardon, uh, and when I I was my first year it was my first year in the seminary, I had a bit of a different kind of schedule that I was on, but that was my first year in the in, in the seminary, and I heard about the massive pardon that you were going to be celebrating, and I I couldn't help but think of as you just mentioned Saint uh, Pope John Paul back in 2000 when he went to Greece, I believe, and asked for pardon of the sins that the church committed, you know, during a particular uh, time in, in her history. And when you did that, 
I said, I've only known one other bishop that has done a massive pardon, and that's the Pope. So now we have an archbishop doing this. And I thought, this is just, um, this must be the place that I ought to be. And then uh, what was included in that and what's been a part of this whole Unleash the Gospel movement of which, you know, you initiated with the local church here, with the Synod 16, and and often talking about not chaining the gospel. Uh, why was racism included in the mass of pardon? Why was it important, Your Excellency, to mention that and ask for pardon uh, on behalf of the Archdiocese of Detroit? Well, Father, because of uh, the history, you know, I was deeply moved to see the photograph the other day of uh, the, uh, the manifestation on the MacArthur Bridge uh, between uh, the mainland and Belle Isle. And I never go over that bridge without thinking about, uh, I think it was 1943, if I recall the year exactly, uh, the civil disturbances in the United States and innocent black men being thrown to their death off that bridge. I mean, uh, we have a terrible heritage uh, here uh, and uh, we, we can't, I mean, uh, it, it, it's not, the, the way forward is not to forget uh, and it's certainly not to nurse grievance uh, uh, th that bears its fruit in animosity and hatred, but it's to be honest and uh, to go forward uh, trusting in the Lord. And uh, there needs to be uh, expiation for, for these sins. Um, I think that's part of the, for me, the devotion to the Sacred Heart is to, is to offer him expiation. I was reading recently the life of St. Bernadette, uh, what one of her uh, calls by uh, the Blessed Virgin was to make propitiation for sin. So that's why this is really important here in, in this community uh, to, to uh, continue the repentance and to continue the healing. And uh, I think that's part of our, uh, uh, that's part of our missionary vocation. Yes. And you know, Your Excellency, and uh, along with Mary, too, that that next summer, I spent a summer in the city of one of our city parishes uh, with Father Don Archambault, um, which, I mean, he's just an amazing priest. And um, I was talking with some people from, you know, that era that would have not 1940s, but that era where there was some racism. And, and I think that massive pardon uh, was a concrete move in the right direction. And again, I, I was just amazed knowing that the only other bishop to do such a massive pardon was the Pope and then now yourself. And I just want to thank you for that. Um, I think it was a real move in the right direction toward rest restoration. And as you said, you know, not forgetting. And for me personally, I have to say, I was at that mass and I said, if someone, yourself, Your Excellency, if, the, if someone, if the bishop can do a massive pardon and, and, and mention racism, this has to be where God is calling me. You know, it just it just has to be. And, and I just knew that. So I just want to say a personal note for my own vocation. It was part of that was being present at the massive pardon. You know, and I, I have to say, too, the 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 thought or the prayer to heal the memory of things that have happened in the past, I think, has taught me 
quite a bit. It's always a little amazing. I take my kids to the uh, uh, Greenfield Village, to the Henry Ford Museum. And they have a place on civil rights. And I've been with my children. I try to take them on dates, so one-on-one. And we walk through where they have, you know, the the whites-only drinking fountain or the waiting area that uh, was different for African Americans than it was for white people. And I remind my kids, and I make sure to say it, that this is recent, that their grandparents, their their grandmother was not allowed to drink, and that their Grammy, who they love, was not allowed to drink in the same fountain as my grandma. And it kind of blows their mind, because I think we have a tendency sometimes to think that this past is far away, right? Like we are at a different place, and praise God, we're not where we were. But when we see the unrest, like what we're experiencing right now, it reminds us this is recent history and it's ongoing, obviously, but there are still really significant wounds there. I have a hard time, though, and I wanted to ask both of you your opinion of this. I have a hard time sometimes with the line between celebrating where we are that we aren't there. And if we focus too much on there, it's hard to move forward while still honoring the process that it took to get us here. Do either of you have any advice for someone like me that's trying to raise my kids to be um, aware of their culture and aware of their faith? What that line is between acknowledging where we were, but also celebrating how far we've come. Right, right. Well, well, I don't know. Should I go first? Um, yeah, you go first, sure. Father. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. You're sure. the expert on this. Uh, no, <laughs> no, no, not at all. But but one of the things you mentioned, uh, just kind of, uh, Mary, about the history. And so I grew up partially with my grandparents in St. Louis. My grandmother was a community activist. She was a councilwoman. My uncle was the fire chief. His One of his best friends was... Um, uh, the, the other battalion chief and and his brother was uh, a priest, an African-American priest. And so my family was very much around kind of the, uh, you know, that setting. And and oftentimes my grandmother would would recount to me and even my own mother would uh, recount to me some of the things that they had to go through in terms of discrimination. And it, and it would always sicken me. And I would always say, I want to make. I want to make the world a better place. Like I don't want my mom, my grandmother, you know, being discriminated against just based on their color or not having doors open for them. Like that was always my hope. And and in these recent times, you know, hope kind of has dwindled, but you know, it picks back up. You know, because the people of God, you like say, let's know we're moving this forward. And I and I hope that we're all moving in the right direction. But yeah, those are talks that that the we do have in, in our African-American community. One of the things too, Mary, that I want to hint at that I think is needed is an understanding of our history as uh, African-Americans. You know, one of the things when I was at, uh, when I was studying philosophy as a monk at Conception Seminary, and all of the guys in the college seminary kind of knew their heritage. They were like, I'm Irish American. My grandmother came from Ireland or my grandfather mm-hmm. came from Germany or et cetera, et cetera. And I would always feel like, man, I don't even know. Like my grandmother lived in Kentucky, but that's like all I know. You know, I don't know our history. And a cousin of mine said, you know, you should do a DNA swipe 
And we did it, and you know, I found out where my heritage is and all that. And then I have another cousin that is a genealogist, and in fact, she did an extensive research on my maternal side. And so I was able to discover the uh, family, the slave family that, uh, I mean, I have to say it as, as they say, owned my family. Mm-hmm. And from this family, from this family, I don't want to uh, mention the name, but this family, the master, you know, though I don't see how a person can be called master, but anyway, the master was the father of one of the slaves. And so there's a photo on that I've posted on my Instagram every so often that I kept it up there of uh, Mary was her, or, or Mary was the mom's name and, and Amanda was the daughter. There's a photo of Amanda who was a slave and but her father was the slave master, her mother was a slave. And there's a photo of her with her siblings. And I look at that picture and I see like Mary's or uh, Amanda's face is just so worn down. You could tell like she worked so much. She worked so hard. And I see her siblings and they look like just so fine. Like they just went to go do this nice photo and they're, you know, they're going to go have lemonade afterwards. And it just recalled to mind like where I come from. That's who I come from. That's my heritage. And though I'm not always proud of it, I'm thankful that I know it. And I think more of our African-American brothers and sisters need to know that history and need to say, this is where I come from. I think part of like even what Archbishop was saying is, you know, going back to that healing memory, you know, but if we don't know our memory, we can never heal, you know? Yeah, that's a really good point. Mary, maybe another thing is, uh, and, and, and not to, not a facile way, but a kind of, uh, I mean, I, again, I'm uh, always mindful of what we say at Mass. Uh, it is right always to give God thanks and praise. It's right to give always and everywhere that, uh, uh, as horrifying as the heritage is, and uh, I don't, you know, you have to, obviously you, you, you expose uh, children to things at, a, at an age when they can manage. Yeah. But that, that there is something to be thankful for, even if it is uh, this heritage of uh, an unquenchable uh, 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 thirst for freedom. Mm. I think that's when Father McKenzie's talking, uh, you talk about uh, your husband's family, your children. I think they can be proud of that. That's mm. something uh, that that and that that's something much uh, to uh, to be proud of, to be grateful for the uh, the un- unquenchable uh, uh, spirit of of a dignity denied but not uh not in not internalized what a beautiful way to put that you know shortly after the synod and unleash the gospel and i do think i just see the holy spirit's hand in the movements that are happening right now um Shortly after the Synod with Unleash the Gospel, you announced a series of smaller pastoral notes, which you would build upon to kind of open up the ideas found within Unleash the Gospel. What's interesting is that you chose to address racism first in Agents for a New Creation, a pastoral note on Christ's victory over the sins of racism. Can you give us a snapshot of that, what you were trying to convey to the reader, and why you chose to begin with racism, which now, of course, 
I don't know, it seems more prophetic to me as we kind of toil through this time in history. Well, uh, Mary, uh, why start there? Because of the Mass for pardon and uh, uh, what has uh, been the way that the gospel has been leashed uh, or we've let it be leashed here in our community. Uh, we live in, th this church exists in one of the principal African-American communities in the United States. Mm. And this is our, this is uh, our mission territory. And uh, to be able to do the mission, uh, we have to uh, repent of uh, what impedes the mission. And so that's, a, for me, race, dealing with racism was a good place for us to start because it's about evangelizing the evangelizers. Mm. And this is what we have to offer uh, as uh, disciples of Christ. Uh, very uh, advisedly talked about the new creation because we're agents of a new creation. Uh, the, Christ came to be the firstborn of a new human race, a renewed human race, a, a human race of charity, a human race of, of mutual uh, love and forgiveness. And this is, uh, this is what we're called to do and be. And, and I'd like to particularly emphasize this theme that while uh, uh, civil uh, equality uh, civil rights is a very important part of our culture. Uh, we're called beyond that in the church. Right. And not only to see that African-American uh, brothers and sisters have their rightful place in the church, but that we depend on the African-American members of our church to bring us the blessings that they offer the church. Uh, not only do they have a rightful place, but we are we depend on the riches of the spirit of the soul that they bring filled with uh, the light of Christ mm -hmm. uh, and our, our Catholic Church in Detroit needs uh, needs those gifts very very much God wants that, us to have them yeah that that's that's very powerful your excellency and I just if I could just read this quote from that letter uh, that you put out that pastoral note and I wish more of our younger African-American uh, men and women uh, read this letter. I mean, I think it's very, very clear, very indicative, and you even make some points, but you say, as you mentioned, the gifts of the African-American faithful are a tremendous blessing to the Archdiocese of Detroit. We would be a much poorer church without the expressions of faith through prayer, music, and personal testimony proper to the black communities. I think, I think that's very, um, I mean, I just think that's so powerful, you know, and this whole letter, you even mentioned there, there are points in here, and I think we really need to sit with this and pray with this and, and move forward with it. You know, it'd be interesting even to have our parishes within the Archdiocese of Detroit, and maybe some have done this, take that pastoral letter and read it as a parish and have that be something that, uh, th to show their commitment to this uh, understanding of who we are and our identity before Christ in all different shades. You know, Archbishop, I wanted to ask you as well, obviously, um, if we didn't know, we certainly know in recent weeks that racism is, um, I mean, really prevalent it's in a lot of different here. areas. Right, right. 
in the church, because you you work obviously for the United States bishops, uh, you do work with them. Do is this something that the bishops address in 2020? Is it something that we know is in our churches? I share that with my family. We've never, I have never in the Archdiocese of Detroit, my personal experience, felt anything but love and welcome from any parish that we've worshipped at. However, we have gone down south as a family, and we went to my sister's parish, and um, after Mass, my husband and I both said that we felt a little uncomfortable with how people were looking at us, and then my sisters confirmed it. They said it just felt weird inside this small little Catholic church that it was and maybe this is too strong of an expression, but apparent that a family that looked like ours was not welcome at this particular Catholic church. Um, and again, I feel like that was more than just in our heads. It, it, all of us confirmed that we had that feeling. So with your work, Archbishop Vigneron, with the, with the universal bishops, or not universal bishops, the bishops in the United States, are we still working to rid out racism within our Catholic communities um, actively? Certainly. Uh, last year, uh, we, the bishops uh, renewed our commitment to struggle against racism to, uh, through a, a pastoral letter. Uh, we've made it a very high priority. And the point of the bishops' conference is that uh, as a body of brothers, we support one another. Uh, it's really the principal responsibility of every bishop in his own diocese uh, to take these resources and, 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 uh, and apply them. Uh, yeah, it, it, we're not done. We know that. Right. And it's a, it's a very high, it's a, it's a high, high priority for all of us in our pastoral work. That's encouraging and, to me that you would say that that's a high priority known through the bishops that this, that the work is not done. And, you know, there was, uh, even as we deliberated about it, uh, rightly, some of the bishops said, you know, if we want to talk about uh, uh, the evil of prejudice, uh, we need uh, to not forget about the evil of anti-Semitism or the evil That's of prejudice right. yes. against people of uh, uh, other ethnic backgrounds. And we all said, that's true, but this is a particular uh, evil in our midst and we need to name it and call it out. Mm -hmm. And so we, we agreed that uh, without uh, 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 obscuring other kinds of uh, indignities against uh, people because of prejudice, uh, this is something that we as American Catholics and American Catholic pastors, uh, we need to pay attention to. Wow, that's powerful. And, and to follow up with that, Your Excellency and, and Mary, um, and I don't want to get into high theology and all of that, but, you know, I, I love uh, the theologian Hans Urs von Balthasar as well as his good friend. His name was Hungry de Lubac. He was a cardinal that during the, he was made cardinal and eventually, uh, I'm sorry, he was a theologian at the Second Vatican Council and then later made cardinal in, in an older age. And he writes in his book, Catholicism, uh, on so this whole book about, you know, where the church is, where the church is going, and the mission of the church in, in this kind of modern world that we live in, this contemporary world. And he, in part of one of the chapters dedicated uh, in this book, 
he writes of a father, I can't remember which one, and he goes, uh, the church is circumdate varietatibus. So that is, it's surrounded by a variety. Uh, and that's what the church is. That's the constitution of the church, meaning there it's, it's universal. There, everyone, every single person can find their home in the Catholic Church. And I think that's what I, I, I know that's what the church is moving toward. Um, but it is unfortunate, Mary, that, you know, your family uh, in the Catholic Church had to experience that. That's not what the church is all about. And, and I really I, I preach on this often from from Hungry uh, uh, de Lubac on the whole sense that the church is absolutely universal. Uh, everyone finds their home in the Catholic Church. Mm. Archbishop Ignorant, do you have any advice for us, for the faithful, as to how we can root out the sin of racism from our minds and from our community, the, really addressing that, the sinfulness of it, and how we can kind of address our own prejudices, the racism that we might have been raised with, to become more who God wants us to be? Part of it is to have one's consciousness raised. Uh, as you say, Mary, I, I think uh, for the majority of Catholics, uh, it's a matter of, of certain biases that we grew up with. Mm. Uh, we just absorbed them, uh, to be sensitized to them, to be aware of them. And there are educational uh, resources, many of them online, that can help us do that. And then to examine our consciences, uh, to see where uh, some of that, uh, 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 I think they call it in some therapy sessions, stinking thinking, where <laughs> some of that, that lies. Right. And then uh, to be attentive and, and to watch, uh, to watch for myself and to watch for others and uh, find ways to call it out in me and to, uh, to identify it in others. So it's about, first of all, a commitment to Christ and uh, a, a prayer to the Holy Spirit for light, then education, uh, examination, and then change, I think. And uh, we're talking, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about the intra-ecclesial life, the life within the church, but we also need particularly to uh, be at work uh, to change uh, the civil order as well. Wow. And, and, and with that, Your Excellency, the lead off uh, with the current protest, um, peaceful protest. And the last week I had the blessing to invite my two nephews. Yeah, I, I would, saw you I on the... On the <laughs> Yeah. Detroit Catholic. <laughs> yeah, I know. And they were they were excited. You know, that wasn't their first time peacefully protesting with me. We did it with Father Don Archambo um, at Corpus Christi once as well. So that was that was their second second time out with me, you know. And um, one of the things that I that I have to say, what what, what was a blessing at the uh, pro, uh, peaceful protest uh, last week was and obviously Monsignor Don Trapp and Father Mario Mori was present as well as uh, Deacon Andrew maybe soon to be uh, Father Andrew maybe and a host of other clergy as well as laity and then my nephews is and we gathered uh, at uh, St. Aloysius and then kind of processed to where the um, protest was taking place 
And as I was talking and, and, and just kind of being with my nephews, especially the little one, asking me all sorts of questions, you know, but I, I asked them at the end of the day, I said, I said, um, what did you what did you get from the, the protest today? What did you think about it? And he answered me, he goes, he goes, uh, we need to be more of a community. And I think he also said we need to see people as they are. I mean, and he's only seven years old. And I thought, this is amazing. So just wondering, Your Excellency, uh, for you in terms of the, the civil unrest that's going on, in terms of the protests, what do you hope comes from the current protests going on? I hope that uh, it uh, becomes a, a way for people to be recommitted to the, the foundational principles of, of our own uh, uh, identity as uh, an American people. And I hope it doesn't get hijacked into uh, uh, one or another uh, uh, agenda that becomes uh, uh, destructive. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I think, uh, I, I hope that it is... Uh, a, a, a renewal of a commitment to do it right and to and to be our best self as Americans. So, Father John, I wanted to ask you a question being present at the protest, and I'm, I'm just going to ask the question. How do we as Catholics support our police officers while still demanding for more peace and justice within um within our police department. So my brother is a police officer in Royal Oak, and he called me last week, and he was absolutely in tears um, over being called a racist daily while knowing how much he loves his nieces and nephews. Right. He said he just couldn't, he, emotionally, it was breaking him down. So when you were there and you were present, how do you walk that line of loving our police officers as Catholics and making sure they feel supported while at the same time right. tackling right. this issue. Like it's so difficult. It, it is Mary. And I, I'm, so I'm a people's person. So I have friends. You can literally see me at any day of the week. I am with so many different types of people during, mm -hmm. during I, I have so many just, and that's just who I am. And I thank God for that. And it was funny because um, I'll tell you a story. So, as I'm at the protest, we're at the police headquarters and, you know, we're with the, uh, the, the, the marchers and all that. And one of my good friends who's a Detroit cop called me <laughs> and I always call him by officer such and such. And I said, I said, oh, uh, it goes, where are you? I go, I, I'm near you. I didn't want to, <laughs> you know, I just didn't want to say, hey, officer such and such, you know, I'm right here, you know. Right. But, um, and, and this and this officer that I know, he's a good friend. So at Sacred Heart, you know, they eat at Sacred Heart Major Seminary. Police officers eat. Uh, they come and have dinner often at the seminary. And so during my time at the seminary for dinner or lunch, if I saw them, I would eat with them. So I got to know at least three of them very well. And we became very good friends even till today. We, we, we speak every so often. And one of them, actually, his son was tragically killed in the line of duty. And so, you know, and I've reached out to him and we've talked, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm very, very aware that 
our police uh, need protection as well and need prayers as well, right? So there's that fine balance. There's that other balance where you're with these protesters, these, especially most of them are very young, and mm. I think that they're, they're letting out a lot of frustration. But we also need to help guide them, and I think that's why particularly Monsignor Dan Trapp, with his leadership in the city, I think his presence, and then all of the clergy, our presence there, just showed those young people, the church is also here for you. We're, we're ready and willing to pray with you, but also to listen to you and just let you speak. And that's, and that's why we were there. We were there for both, but, but, but it's true. We need to also show support because there are so many really good police officers out there. And I, I know three of them from Detroit very well. Mm. And uh, we've, we've talked during this time, and obviously they are going through a very, very difficult uh, situation right now. But it's this fine balance that as, a, as a priest, uh, as a man of God, as a Christian, as a Catholic, you know, we have to be there for everyone. So, mm. And we stand up for justice no matter where it's coming from. So um, there is that fine balance. But I think... I think, and what's the good thing about, you know, being a priest in these situations that people get it. People are like, I get it. You have to, you know, you have to talk to the police as well as the protesters. You're a priest for crying out loud. Who else are they going to talk to? So that's kind of like we get to have that kind of um, diplomacy in a way, you know, Mm. Uh, and it it, it really represents the church worldwide. As you know, the the Vatican has its own diplomatic corps and and countries that are opposing one another will all go to the nuncio to discuss issues. Right. So Mm. I think that that we represent that on a on a on a on a local level. That makes sense. I like that you said the diplomacy involved, you know, so we've, as a family, we've been to different prayer services. So we went and prayed the rosary at Sacred Heart Major Seminary. I've, I've been nervous about attending any of the protests because I'm just, I want to make sure, you know, that, that I'm not adding to the noise, but I also see this need to stand up where injustice takes place. And I'm just finding that line is getting harder and harder today. It's so true because so many of us live in, we just live in such a polarized society. We really need to go back to just being human beings uh, in a very real way to each other, you know. So with my nephews, they can come to the peaceful protest with me. They can come have dinner with the police officer. They can ask him questions, ask her questions. They, they can come to church with me. You know, I just want them to know that as black men, they as young black men or soon to be men, yeah. They can they can be free, you know. It's um, beautiful. And so that's the example I like to set. You know, you know, uh, just switching things to more specific things, Your Excellency. With uh, just want to talk about three points. Um, one is the cu- cultural inclusion uh, here within the in America, but also in the Archdiocese of Detroit. Uh, this past Sunday at Shrine of the Little Flower, shout out to Shrine, my parish, uh, hosted an event called Responding to the Sin uh, to the Sin of Racism as a Black Catholic. Jonathan Sanders, whom I understand you know, spoke very eloquently about the sin of racism and how he as a black Catholic sometimes feels like a minority already within a minority. Uh, one of Jonathan's suggestions to us, well, I'm a priest to, and to the pastors, was that uh, we should create cultural inclusion teams that would help oversee certain aspects of the parish so as to properly facilitate healthy inclusion of all persons of diverse ethnic backgrounds within the parish setting. 
so with that said, Your Excellency, I know that's kind of long. Would you consider encouraging such teams to be both in the parish and on the archdiocesan levels? I think that makes excellent sense. And uh, anything Jonathan Sanders is in favor of, I am. <laughs> <laughs> that is an endorsement, Archbishop. Yes. <laughs> no, I, I consider I consider Jonathan a, a very good friend and uh, awesome. a wise man whose advice uh, I'm always ready to take. I think, uh, you know, right now we're, we're going to have to spend a, a significant amount of energy on a, on a kind of a reorg dimension of our life with families of parishes. I, I wish we didn't have to put energy into that side of things, but for the sake of doing the mission, we are going to have to get ourselves a little differently organized. That doesn't mean we, we are giving up on uh, uh, unleashing the gospel, on being sent on mission. It's just... Uh, taken uh, some time to get to get our uh, ourselves in good order but once we move forward with the families for parishes uh, the the families are going to do missionary strategic planning mm -hmm. and uh, one of the points in the pastoral letter is that the whole archdiocese needs to be engaged in some way or other uh, to uh, evangelize uh, people outside of our own groups, and that does particularly mean uh, the African-American community. And so this idea of encouraging uh, parishes to have uh, a cultural inclusion team makes excellent sense. I think that, uh, and Jonathan can uh, advise uh, the, uh, the commission he's on to make that uh, part of a checklist. Awesome. However, we want to be sure we do it uh, for the gospel reason, uh, that it, uh, it's about uh, uh, responding to the, 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 the fervor in the heart of Jesus, who wants uh, people of every language and tongue to belong to him and uh, for him to be owned by them, uh, so that uh, there is what St. John Paul called the, the, the exchange of gifts. Uh, so uh, I'm going to leave. You go back and you can tell uh, tell Mr. Sanders that if he wants this uh, made part of the pastoral planning, uh, I'm ready to support him. <laughs> I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll definitely send him a text, Your Excellency, and let him know. <laughs> He'll be very happy, I'm sure. It was a beautiful night uh, that we had uh, with him here. It was uh, very grateful. Uh, Your Excellency, also you spoke about uh, earlier in the show about this man who obviously said he was thinking about the priesthood and the nun said, you know, sorry because of your race, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we all have seen how black American men, uh, unfortunately, quite often are treated poorly in this country, uh, such treatment. And I would even say, though, not always negative. I mean, it's so easy to just always be negative, but it, there's some very, very positive uh, things going on within the black American man. A population as well. I like to highlight uh, that, but though these negative effects uh, have certain aspects in all American society, uh, one element within church uh, concerns priestly vocations within the black community, something that Jonathan also mentioned. Uh, so how do we as a church, particularly here in Detroit, uh, promote priestly vocations within the black community 
with the acknowledgement uh, that we do need to perhaps take a different approach for young black males? I begin, uh, Father, with the, uh, the conviction that uh, young black men are being called to the priesthood. So we don't have a vocation problem. We got an audition problem, mm. people not hearing. Right. And so we have to identify what gets in the way of the hearing. Mm. Uh, how do we do that? Well, right now, I think, well, uh, one of the most important ways to try and advance the hearing is through uh, the parish priests. Uh, you yeah. offered uh, a really fine uh, uh uh, word of praise about Father Archambault. Uh, he worked yes. very hard at uh, Corpus Christi Parish to identify young men and bring them to various events. I think that's that's, right. that's that's a really basic way to move forward. But then it involves all of us uh, uh, asking: uh, Do we send out uh, uh, subtle signals uh, that there's no place here? for you as a, a young black man. Yeah. Um, and for that, I really think I need to go to people like yourself, uh, to uh, uh, Father Parker. Uh, yeah. wh wh are there things that we need to be, be attentive to that uh, we, we should be more uh, watchful about, lest we uh, send out a, a message that we, we don't want to, to say? Yeah. And... Um, you know, I, I've talked to, in the past with uh, some of my uh, brother bishops who are African-American uh, about this, and I know that the Black Catholic Caucus, uh, Priest Caucus, Clergy Caucus, the Black Clergy Caucus has talked yes. about some uh, distinctive formation programs. Um, I, I regret that, that that hasn't worked uh, uh, well, or, or as far as I know, but I think, uh, I think there's a great place in the church for, for that sort of, uh, of experience. Uh, it was the way that the, the uh, Polish uh, Catholic community dealt with one of its uh, challenges, uh, and, I, yeah. and it makes sense to me. But I don't think that, that's my, uh, that I'm really the right uh, uh, heart and mind to think about that. I, I think that's something that uh, black priests and black bishops uh, and, and black lay leaders can think about uh, what we can do to complement uh, the ordinary m means of formation so that uh, uh, African-American men feel welcome. That's what I was going to ask. I was going to ask you, Father John, just through your experience, you have such yeah. a unique story, I think. What what did you experience as, as some obstacles being a black man in the seminary, being ordained? Like, yeah. are there things that you say these things could change to make it easier for black men to know they have a place in our seminaries? Yeah. Well, first of all, I have to say that, you know, I totally agree with the archbishop about uh, you know, putting the ball into the black priests, black bishops, and, and obviously the laity. And there are some programs, you know, I know about New Orleans has one. Right, uh, Xavier. Xavier, Xavier yeah, has Xavier. A, mm -hmm. very, um, yeah. Yeah, so, but uh, some of my experience, I mean, so Mary and, and the Archbishop knows this. I mean, I just because I lived in another country, 
most of my adult life was lived in another country. And so I just, and then part of that was like in Rome with all these various types of people and languages. And so I fit in just about wherever I go, right? I don't have much issues like, oh, if I'm the only black person in the room. But there is something though in America that just, it's just even, it, it, it adds more, more tension to, to the pot. It stirs the pot a little bit more than if you're living in Europe or, or elsewhere. And so for me, um, I would just like to see um, maybe there's a you know black priest out there that's a professor somewhere that would you know love to teach or something like that or 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 a black professor or something like that that we can have uh more of those uh represented uh within seminary structures uh but you know the fact of the matter is the seminary here does a really good job i think i mean they work well with me first of all they allowed me to do uh kind of my own um ministry with Better Men Outreach, which is particularly geared to, toward African-American men in the city of Detroit. Uh, they allowed me to do an internship for the summer uh, at, at Corpus Christi. So they did work with me, but I'd like to see that more like within the structure itself. Like it's just it's just part of what we do when we are forming uh, men for the priesthood. And I think we do have to realize there were some uh, here's one thing and and you know, for, and this is like during recreation. So this is the seminarians, you know, we get together and we do like a host a concert. And when you, when you're with a majority white male population, the music tends to be a certain way. <laughs> and, and then I'm listening. I'm like, well, when am I going to really enjoy the music that I kind of enjoy listening to sure. that that's good music. And so that's for me, like, man, I wish somebody would just play like something that's more like a gospel thing. And that, I'm not saying that's all I listen to. I listen to all types of music, by the way. But, you know, it's just like that that's type of stuff I'd like to see, just little small changes like that. Or maybe you have a day where the food is like the soul food of the day or, the, you know, of the week or whatever it is. But but little small steps that show we appreciate you as who you are and you are welcome here and and guess what you know you're part of us as well you know we we are one body and it shouldn't just be a black and white thing but yeah. you know the culture that that we bring as 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 african americans has to also be represented within the structures of of seminary training and formation and i think too like an ongoing conversation about culture my husband and I talk all the time in our house, like, what does it mean to be part of black culture? What does that look like? What qualities are there? I love that you brought up the music because I'll just tell you, Aaron and I, my husband, we have lots of conversations about the music we, we were raised with because it's so different. Like, he'll play this song, he'll be like, everybody knows this song. I'm like, I do right. not know this song. And vice right. versa, you know? Like, sometimes he'll be like, oh my gosh, you're playing that white music again. <laughs> so it's just, it's, it's, it's interesting to think about gifts like that. And maybe a wider conversation can come from this time about what it means to be a black Catholic and what things within black culture can be brought to our church to enrich it, which I love that you point out, Archbishop Vigneron. It's not only about what the church can bring, it's what the church can receive, right? And so being mindful of that's important too. What the church brings to the church, because uh, African-American Catholics are part of the church, what the church brings to the, the church and what that part of the church brings to the whole church. I think oh, wow. we have to 
constantly remember that. Wow. Uh, Father John and Archbishop Vigneron, I really need to thank you for taking the time today. Um, our listeners might not know this, but this was kind of, it wasn't on the schedule for months to have this discussion. It was meeting a need of our diocese, and I know it's hard to switch around schedules, but this conversation is an important one. And uh, I know several times during this conversation, I got a little misty-eyed because I think uh, we're, we're talking about some truly important things in our church. I wanted to ask both of you, and maybe we'll start with Father John and end with Archbishop Vigneron, if there's anything the listeners from Eyes on Jesus can um, pray for you for in the upcoming month, uh, anything specific that you would like us to intercede for you for? Yeah, no, thank you, Mary, and thank you for having me as well, Your Excellency. Um, you know, just pray Pray for today is my anniversary. Just keep me uplifted. Uh, we are doing so much here at Shrine of the Little Flower and as well as at Mary's Mantle right now. So if you could just, just keep me uplifted in my priestly ministry as I try to minister to various diverse groups in the midst of all of what we're, what's going on in the world right now, and including in a very special way our Hispanic ministry, which I kind of principally do here at Shrine of the Little Flower. So just keep me uplifted in your prayers for all of the various ministries that, that I'm a part of here at Shrine and, and um, elsewhere. Awesome. And Archbishop Vigneron, is there anything we can pray for you for? Yeah, Mary, I'd ask people to pray for the, uh, the part of our, our community uh, that uh, somehow I'm not able to serve as well as they might uh, wish I could serve them. Uh, mm. I'm just, uh, by some shortcoming that I have, uh, I'm not able to uh, be for them the grace that they might need, but that God would give it to, uh, get, the, uh, get that gift to them in, in another way. What a beautiful uh, intention that we can carry for you. Uh, again, thank you so much. Father well, Mary, John, we need to yes. pray for you and your husband and your and your kids, too. That, uh, Father, yes, Father yes, you'll, you'll do sure. that, won't you? <laughs> yes, <laughs> I will you. definitely do that, for sure, oh, for sure. You men are so <laughs> wonderful, and, and yeah. I feel blessed to be in this archdiocese with the two of you as leaders. I think uh, it's hard to see hope right now. It can be difficult to see hope. But hope is so present. And Archbishop Vigneron, you've done such a good job through the pandemic reminding us that this is the time that God has called us to. This isn't an accident. And I believe that everything that's happening, the Holy Spirit is touching, including this difficult time. So thank you so much, both of you, for being willing to have this conversation. And Archbishop Vigneron, would you mind closing us out in prayer? No, I'm honored. Um, let's, uh, I mean, one thing that uh, all of us within the church have in common is we, we share a mother. Uh, Jesus gave us his mother to be ours. And so I invoke her as I say, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May Almighty God bless all of you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Archbishop. Stay tuned for the next episode of Eyes on Jesus, a new episode every month. 
And if you enjoyed listening, you might also like the Open Door Policy Podcast with Father Steve Pullis and Danielle Center, a podcast for joyful missionary disciples and our movement to unleash the gospel. Find it on your favorite podcast app.